0: Thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to uh, the book of John, chapter eight, verse twelve. John eight, verse twelve. For six weeks, uh, our our staff led us as we were talking about uh, being in the wilderness and that uh, sometimes you can be in the will of God but outside His blessings. And uh, I listened to every one of those uh, those messages. And, uh, then as I was there in Australia in this worship conference, and as this song began to resonate with me more and more, it talked about the, the wilderness. And, and it talked about turning the wilderness to wonder. And it got me thinking, it got me thinking over the last number of weeks, exactly what does that mean, turning the wilderness to wonder? And so that's what I want to talk to you about, about today. About changing our perspective. Changing our perspective the God's way, Jesus' way, and then turning our wilderness into wonder. Now, in order to do this, let me define for you what wonder is. I looked it up in the dictionary, and this is what the definition says. It's a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. It's wonder. I mean, you've, you've experienced something like this. You said, oh, it's a wonder. It was a surprise. And it's, it's inexplicable. I, I never knew this was, this was going to happen. Didn't know how this was going to happen. There's a wonder. And we experience that in our life. And for kids, sometimes it's when they go to Disney World for the first time, right? And their eyes are like, this. the wonder of that. And as children, they seem like children experience wonder. And then as we get older, it seems like wonder gets less and less. We just wonder if we're going to get out of bed the next day. But uh, what we're looking for is, is to capture that, that wonder. And we have a God that is, who is so incredible. And that we need to be able to see the wonders of his world. No matter where we are. No matter what situation we're going through. So what I want to do is twofold. I'm going to give you foundational truths. And then I'm going to close out by just talking about turning your wilderness to wonder. Three foundational truths. Number one, God is sovereign and in control. God is sovereign and in control. Anytime you walk through any type of wilderness, you need to understand God is sovereign and he's in control. It all started in Genesis chapter one, verse one. At the very beginning of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God started everything. It all began with God. God has always been here. When God created, then God started time as we know it. And he created the heavens and the earth. And when he created the heavens and the earth, he then created the animals and he created man and woman and he created Adam and Eve. He placed them in the garden. When he placed them in the garden, he gave them one restriction. They could do anything or eat of anything in the garden, just not of that one tree. They ate of the one tree that they were not supposed to. Eve ate, gave it to Adam. When he ate, sin entered the world. And as soon as sin entered the world, because God loved them so much, he didn't let them stay in the garden for fear they would eat of the tree of eternal life so that they would always be living in their sin, he cast them out of the garden. And after he cast them out of the garden, there's this separation and a fellowship and a relationship with God. And then it says that God began to put a plan together. Actually, it was a plan that was known from the beginning of time. And that was there had to be a plan of of paying for the sin of individuals so they could come back into a right relationship with God because God is perfect and is holy. And now we are sinful. And so this God who is sovereign in control, you come and you look in Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, the appointed time, when just the right time, God is sovereign and in control. He's in charge of all time. And he says, in the fullness of time, at the exact right time, God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law born of a woman born under the law. He was 100% God, 100% man. And through that virgin birth, through that conception, he came into this earth. And Jesus stepped out of heaven onto earth with one purpose, and it says what? To redeem those who were under the law so that we may receive adoption as sons. He said there's been sin, it's breached our relationship and our fellowship. Something has to come, there has to be a payment for those sin, and Jesus came and he says, I will pay the penalty for that sin sin and to redeem you, to buy you back. You are lost and I am going to pay the penalty. And when I pay the penalty, it'll be my death on the cross. And then I'll raise from the dead, conquering sin and death. And I will bring you back. And when I bring you back, you are adopted as sons. You've got full rights, heirs and privileges, and you're a part of God's family. God is sovereign and in control. And he said that at that particular time, Jesus came. But then, you know, when Jesus left, he ascended to heaven. They're saying, well, will he come back? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 says this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So Jesus is coming back. So Jesus has said, I'm gone, but I'm coming back. Well, when's he coming back? <clears throat> well, that question is answered in Mark chapter 13. Mark 13, 32, it says this. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, read that last part, but only the father, Read that, say that again, but only the father. So God knows, he knows when he's coming back. God knows when Jesus is coming back, God knows is when that final judgment will take place. The first point is that God is sovereign and he's in control. He started in the beginning, he created our world and when the fullness of time came, the appointed time, his time, he chose perfect time, Jesus came, then one day, perfect time, Jesus will come back in final judgment. Is all in his control. God is sovereign and he is in control. Number two. The world is full of tribulation and wilderness, but Jesus has overcome the world. Make a note of this. The world is full of tribulation and wilderness, but Jesus has overcome the world. In John sixteen thirty three, it's at the Last Supper, meeting with his disciples, hours before he's going to be arrested, this is what he says. He says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, there's two spheres of existence if you look at that verse, in me and in the world. Now, we all live in the world. We don't have any choice on that. We all live in this world. And he says, you will live in the world, and you will have tribulation, and you will have treks in the wilderness. And then if you live in me, you will have peace in the midst of being in the wilderness, in the midst of being in tribulation, if you're in me, you will have peace. Now, when you look at that verse, when it says, in the world, you will have tribulation, it is a word. It's a strong word. It means to be squeezed or pressured or crushed. It could be distress. It could be affliction. And he says, you will have these in the world. And so he's letting these disciples, they're sitting right here, I just uh, listening to the last words that Jesus will share with him before he's arrested. And he says, you're going to have a lot of trouble in this world. There'll be distress. There'll be affliction. There'll be tribulation. There are going to be some things that go that you don't fully understand. And yes, there will be times when you're walking in the wilderness. He says, I want to let you know that. And we all understand that. We understand we've experienced it and some of us are experiencing right now. And whether it be in relationships or it could be health or it could be job, I look over here to all the young people and, man, you've been back in school just a couple days and you've already experienced it. You know that person this summer that says, hey, you're my BFF. We're going to hang out. Now all of a sudden you go to school first day and that person dishes you. What's up with this? It's I haven't been in school but a couple days and I'm already feeling distressed. And we get promised some things and these things don't happen. We think that that everything's going to go in a certain direction, and then all of a sudden we get a curveball thrown to us, and and we don't understand this. We think we're in good health, and we go to the doctor. The doctor does a report and says, Gosh, I got some bad news for you. I mean, things happen. And he says, In this world, you will have tribulation. There will be distress, and there will be difficult times. And in the midst of all of that, he then says, Take heart. That word literally means be courageous. Be courageous. So now picture yourself. Jesus is saying, in this world you'll have tribulation. Be courageous, okay? You say, well, how? How can I be courageous? And he answers it, because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. It's a word for victory. And the way this is written, the grammar does not imply a single past tense victory It talks about a victory in the past and a continuous victory on and on and on. So you need to understand when he says, I have overcome the world, that means continually, I have overcome the world. Now every time I've read this passage, I always thought it was quite an audacious comment that Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And in just hours from the moment those words came out of his mouth, he's getting ready to be arrested, beaten, crucified, hung on a cross for six hours, and then die. I said, that doesn't sound like much of an overcoming of the world. But you see, he has seen further than I've seen, and he knew. Because in the book of Hebrews, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He could see, and he knew the resurrection was coming. And three days later, his heavenly Father raised him from the dead, and with that, he took care of sin and conquered sin and conquered death And he says, I have truly overcome the world. So folks, I just want to tell you, as we come up with our foundational truths, God is sovereign and he's in control. And the second is is that we will have troubles and tribulation and we will have wildernesses that we will travel through. But I want to remind you of this. The battle is not yet over. However, the outcome has already been decided. The battle is not yet over. However, the outcome has already been decided. Jesus has overcome the world and he will overcome everything and anything that Satan can throw at us. So when we abide in the sphere of Christ, we can have peace in the midst of tribulation and in the middle of this wilderness because you know that Jesus has overcome the world and he's going to help me through this. God is sovereign and in control. There will be tribulation and wilderness adventures in the world, but Jesus has overcome the world. And the third foundational truth is Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. He said, well, what does all that mean? Well, I want you to understand the context. You know, in the... uh, in the Hebrew life in the Old Testament, they had different uh, feasts and, that they, and celebrations, the Feast of Passover and some others. Well, there was one that was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is when they would come and they'd build like their little tents and lean-to sheds and live in them for a while. And it was to remind them of when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness. And so every year they would celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles. And as they celebrate it, Every day, there would come a time when they would take water and they would pour it on an altar to remember that day when God brought water from the rock. In fact, Scripture shows twice that he did that. And then, so every day, they pour the water over the altar. It's to remind them of that. But then the other thing that they did was they put these lamps all around the temple and all around Jerusalem. And they would light these lamps and these torches. And it would be a reminder day and night of that when they were going through the wilderness, it said that God was leading them. It was a pillar of cloud by day. It was a pillar of fire by night. And so as they would come into the city, and you see all the city lit up, it was a reminder that it was God's light that guided them. And it was a reminder that God is the one who protects them, and God is the one that guides them, and God is the one whose presence is always there. And in the midst of that, in the backdrop of that, Jesus steps up and says, I am the light of the world. Whoa, that's pretty bold. You see, the light was God. Do you understand that, Jesus? I do. I am divinity. I am the son of God. I am the light of the world. And so when he's sitting there saying, I am the light of the world, when you think about light, what does light do? Light reveals. And what Jesus does is he reveals truth. That is why when we open up God's word and we read God's word and we read what Jesus says, he reveals the truth. It reveals who God himself is. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's revealing who God is. And then what also it does is it illuminates. It it illuminates the truth and and it illuminates our way. And so when it is dark and you turn a light on or you turn a flashlight on, that all of a sudden it illuminates a path that you can travel. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I can give you a light of, uh, of a path. I can lighten up a path, illumine a path, reveal the path for you to travel if you will follow me. So Jesus is the light of the world. So think about it. God is sovereign. He's in control. So no matter what wilderness you're in, God is still sovereign. God is still in control. We will have tribulation. We understand that. But Jesus has overcome the world. I've got to remember that. And then number three is he's the light of the world. And if I connect my life with Jesus as I'm going through God's word and as I'm praying through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, I will be giving me understanding of next steps, how to understand this, and how to go day by day. And he illuminates that path for me to take. Now, all of those truths are there, but then there's something that we have to do in order for our wilderness to turn to wonder. And the first thing is this to turn our wilderness to wonder, you've got to walk in the light and walk in the wonder. The rest of that verse in John 8 12 says, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He didn't just say, I am the light of the world you guys got that? Done. No? He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just because the light is there, it doesn't do you much until you walk down that path of light. And he says, whoever follows me, that word follow is a word that means anyone that will imitate me, anyone that will accept me as authority. And so when we imitate Christ and what he does, when we accept him as our authority, he says, then you're walking in the light. And as we just sang, and then you're walking in the wonder. Because you see, anything that, that is revealed by him will reveal the works of the Father, and we begin to see the wonder. Light reveals and illuminates. And so, That means that you will not see with a worldly perspective, but with the kingdom of God perspective. All right, stay with me here. When we walk in the light of Christ's light, and he's revealing things all around us, we're going to see things that we didn't see before. Because we don't just have our worldly perspective, we've got the perspective of the it's a kind of a kingdom of God perspective. And we began to see God and how he's working and how he's moving. And I just need to tell you that in the midst of your wilderness, there are wonders all around you. You know, they wandered for 40 years there in the Old Testament. And as they were wandering, as they were doing all their wandering, there was incredible wonders all around them. Do you realize what we just talked about? A pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire every day and night. That's inexplicable. It's incredible. How about every morning when they woke up six out of seven days, when they'd wake up, they would see manna on the ground. There was food for them. That's simply inexplicable. That's the wonder of God, that that food was there and it was for them. It says that that there was a tent of meeting and that the presence of God would come into the tent of meeting and Moses would come into that tent and as the presence of God came in there, the pillar of cloud would come down at that entrance and then they would meet and then when Moses would walk out, there are times when he would walk out with a veil over his face because his face was shining so much because he had been in the presence of God. That's a wonder. Now I know 40 years in the wilderness was not a good time but the wonders of God were there every single day for them to see. And how about this wonder? In Deuteronomy chapter 29, Moses is kind of giving his last speech before he dies. And it's at the end of the 40 years they're getting ready to go into the promised land. He says, 40 years I led you through the wilderness, yet your clothes and sandals did not wear out. 40 years, the clothes didn't wear out and their sandals didn't wear out. Now from a guy's standpoint, hey, no big deal. You know, for a guy, you give us a pair of jeans, gym shorts, two t-shirts, hey, we're good to go that's it. But those poor ladies, I mean, the same sandal style I went out of Egypt with, I'm still walking around in. And don't you know about five years into the trip, uh, the wife looks over to the husband and says, hey, I'd like to get some new sandals. Husband says, hey, when these wear out, I'll buy you some. (laughs) This is why they look forward to the promised land. I can get new shoes over there. This is a wonder. How do you travel for 40 years, your clothes not wear out, your sandals not wear out? Well, I am so fixed on the wilderness, and I'm so upset about this, and I'm whining about this, and yet God's doing things all around us, and we don't even see it. And every one of us, as we walk in through the wilderness, we don't ever want to minimize the pain that you're going through. But when he says you will walk in the light, you'll begin to see the wonders of God, and he has not left you. He's all around you, and he's doing wonders everywhere. And when you follow Jesus and you walk in the light, it'll change your perspective. You walk in the light, you walk in the wonder, and you see your world different. Listen, when I walk in the light, when I walk in the wonder, I see the world in acceptance. Acceptance. In Revelation twenty two seventeen, it says, "Anyone who thirst, let them come. Whosoever will, may come." When I walk in the world and I walk in the light and I walk in wonder, I see beauty. I see a creator who's a master designer who's created all of our world and it just brings me back to him. When I'm walking in the light and I'm walking in wonder, I see the world in contentment. And I think about the Apostle Paul when he says, I've learned in whatever state I am, I will be content. When I'm walking in the light and I'm walking in the wonder, I see the world in discipline because the Apostle Paul said, I will discipline my body I'll discipline my body and keep it under control lest after I've preached to others that I should be disqualified. You see, when I walk in the light and I walk in the wonder, I see the world in exaltation. In Isaiah 25 one, when the prophet says, I will exalt you. I will praise your name. You see, when I'm walking in the light and I'm walking in the wonder, I see the world in freedom. And in Galatians five, one, it says, Christ has set you free. You see, when I'm walking in the light and I'm walking in the wonder, I see the world in grace. For it is by grace that we have been saved, not through works lest any man should boast. I see the world in gospel, the gospel, which is the good news of salvation. And as I'm walking along this road and I'm walking in the light and I'm walking in the wonder, there's so many things that I see. I see the hope and I see the joy and I see the kindness and I see the love of God. And I'm reminded that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I'm walking in the light and I'm walking in the wonder. And so whatever wilderness that you're in, let me just encourage you to walk in the light of Christ and then let him show you all the wonder that is there. And that will strengthen in helping you through there. And let me give you the last statement is this. Don't be afraid to follow, and don't be ashamed to say so. I took this straight from the song, all right? Don't be afraid to follow, don't be ashamed to say so. I want you to repeat it after me. Let's go. Don't be afraid to follow, don't be ashamed to say so. Don't be afraid to follow, don't be ashamed to say so. Romans chapter one, verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I will not be afraid to follow. We all have to make that call, that decision. Will you follow Jesus or will you not? Will you be afraid to follow or not? And say, listen, I'm not going to be afraid to follow. I'm going to follow him. And many of you that are believers here said, man, I'm following him. I'm all over it, Danny. And then that second part, not ashamed to say so. I'm not ashamed to say so. I tell you what, we're strong. We're strong right here on the Sunday morning from 8 o'clock to 11. But the question is, what are we Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday? Am I ashamed to say so? I'm walking in the light. I'm walking in the wonder. Am I ashamed to say so? First part of my sabbatical, I flew to um, uh, Australia, flew to a place called Gold Coast. It's where I ran a marathon up there on, on Gold Coast. and. And uh, on Monday, I then flew from Gold Coast, about an hour and a half. It's like from Birmingham to Dallas. I flew to Sydney. And so uh, when I got to Sydney, uh, I had to line up a car that could drive me to my hotel. Now, Sydney is here. The place I was staying is a place called Parramatta. It's over here. And the reason they put me so far is because the uh, Hillsong Conference was at the Olympic Center, and it's right here. So you drive here, and then you catch the train and get up over there. Well, it's rush hour, and it took an hour and a half in the car with this guy to go all the way over there. I got in. I sat in the back. He was in the front. Pretty nice guy, and we talked about a lot of stuff. And, you know, you talked about being from the States. <laughs> you all are going to love this. Uh, anytime somebody would hear my accent, they'd say, you're not from here, right? Uh, you, um, are you, uh, you from the States? I said, yeah. They said, where are you from? I said, Alabama. And you know, the first thing they said was what? Nope. <laughs> There's no cussing in Australia. Uh, <laughs> hey, but it was close. You know what they'd say? Oh, sweet home Alabama. That everybody, no matter where it was, sweet home Alabama, sweet home Alabama. Do you know where Alabama is? No, it's next to California? They had no idea. But sweet home Alabama, that's what everybody knew, you know? And so, uh. I, I said, "Well, I'm from Alabama." So we talked about, talked about the states, talked about this guy, what kind of job he had, what he'd done. Uh, then we began to talk a little about politics. We talked about USA politics. I learned something about Australian politics. I uh, went by this uh, car dealer that uh, there this car was going out of style or so. We talked about that. Talked about investing in cars. We talked sports. I told him I was going to Hillsong Conference. Told him I was a pastor. We talked all those things. And at the end of an hour and a half, he got me to my hotel and I got out of the car and I. Got there, got in my room, and not once did I say anything about Jesus. Not once. You're talking about a captive audience. We're stuck in trap. It's like sitting on 280. Not once did I say anything. And that haunted me throughout that week. Now I prayed for this guy. And then I go to the Hillsong Conference and I sing the song hit me again. And I won't be ashamed to say so. And I said, I was so preoccupied in everything else, God, I just didn't get around to what was most important. And so um, at the end of the conference, I took a a day, a couple days to doing touring. And when we toured, we came to a spot that was an overlook for you to be able to see uh, part of the harbor. And it's called the Gap there in Australia. David, if we've got a picture of the Gap so you see those rocks over there and, and, uh, and it's just a beautiful area. If you look to the left, you can see the harbor. So at it, Sydney. And so I'm standing there and I was trying to take some pictures. And then someone came up and explained to me that this is the number one place for suicide in Australia. People will come, climb over the fence, go out on the rocks and jump to their death. And it's, it's called the gap. And, um, and I said, "Wow, that's kind of sad." They said, "Oh, but there's more to the story. That'd be your next picture. In this next, next picture, if you look over there to the house to the left, you see where the white shuttle bus is, that house to the left, right there? There's a guy who lived there for 45 years. His name is Don Ritchie. Don Ritchie is an insurance salesman. sells insurance during the day, and at night he would come home, and as he ate dinner, you see the big glass window down on the main floor. he would sit there. And he would look out and watch as people came to the gap. And if he ever saw someone that would come to the gap and they seemed like they were distressed, he would leave his chair. He would go outside. He put his palms up. He said, hey, is there something I can help you with? Is there something I can help you with? And he would engage them in a conversation. He would bring them back into his house And they would have tea or coffee or even fix some breakfast and would talk to them. Forty-five years. He died about three years ago at the age of 85. His number was that he had saved 160 people from committing suicide. However, researchers going back said that is more like 500. Close to 500 people who were contemplating suicide, who were right there on the edge, were prevented from it. Why? Because one man had a heart for them. He got out of his comfort zone, he stepped out and said, hey, can I help you with something? And just engaged them in a conversation. Pretty well left a legacy. Because now as soon as you walk on that property, this is what you'll see. You'll see a sign Hold on to hope, there's always help. Lifeline, another sign. We care, we can help day or night. Give them some numbers they could call. And the third is there's a telephone there. And all you have to do is just push a button. You push a button 24-7, someone will come on and they will talk to you. They called him the angel of the gap. He was the angel of the gap. I heard that. It was an amazing story. And all I could think about was that guy that drove me from the airport. I said, just, it would have been simple to just talk to him about who Jesus was. So the day ended, Monday morning. I was supposed to go to the airport. 7.30, young man picks me up. I have no idea why I did this. I guess I'm just that way. I took my stuff. I stuck it in the back and I sat in the front seat. You know, usually with those little chauffeur kind of things, and you're not in the front. He gave me a funny look, but that was all right. And, and so I just sat in the front, and we start talking. He's from India. He's from India. And uh, so talking to him, and we're talking, and we're riding along. We're 15 minutes into the conversation, and I'm over here going, oh, gosh, Lord. I said, oh, Lord, I know I need to get and get into this Jesus conversation, but hi in the world, we've been going everywhere And I looked out the window and I said this prayer. I said, God, if you will give me an opening, I will jump on it. The very next sentence that this guy made, he had left India to come to Australia. He says, well, the reason I left uh, India is because it's just never going to change. They got that caste system and they got that religion. Religion? <laughs> I'm sitting out there and I looked over there. I said, "Is this it, Lord?" <laughs> he says, "Duh, yeah, Danny." I said, "Religion? What religion is it?" So well, he started talking to me about Hindus and what they believe. And I said, "Oh, okay." And uh, explain to me more about that. So he explained about all these things you're supposed to be doing. And he said, "I don't do any of that." I said, "Well, when you do all that, what's supposed to happen?" He said, "Well, when you die, then hopefully you get to go to heaven." I said, "Hopefully?" He said, "Yeah, you're not really certain, you know, if you." Done a enough on there, and I kind of kidded him when I said, "Well, you're not doing any of that stuff." He says, "Yes." Yeah. I said, "Not looking real good for you, is it?" Oh, <laughs> and uh, and you know, and he's saying, "Well, I, you know, I know I got the need to do better." So, and I said, "I said, would you like to know how you could be certain that you could spend eternity in heaven?" And so I just opened it up. It was a perfect entree just to be able to start talking to him and explain the difference of religion in a relationship, and to talk to him about what God had done, the one who created the earth, and about the sin, and about how Jesus had come, and, and what he had done, and he died for sin, the resurrection, and, and that you become a part of his family, and, and you can know for sure. You can know for sure. Well, we got into this conversation, and it was more one way, and I would ask him a question ever so often, and it got to the point where I knew it was uncomfortable, and I just left it with And you know, the way you can do that is you can make that decision yourself and you can just ask him to come into your life. You can do that. And his statement to me was, well, apparently you know a whole lot more about religion than I do. Um, and, and he was uncomfortable and then he changed subject and he began to talk about his wife who's over in India and trying to get her back over here and about his career. It was interesting because over the next 15, 20 minutes, I began to give him some career advice, uh, even some marriage advice, uh, some things that I think that in his young life that he could do to help him to uh, set for a good future. And I could see him pause on some of the things that I would say, and I said, okay, maybe this is resonating. And so when we left, that's how we left it. Shook his hand, told him, great to meet you, hope everything works out well for you. And as I walked in to the airport, I said, Lord, I just pray that that you use something from that conversation to direct him to you. And I don't know, maybe a year and a half from now, when he's done something towards that business direction he wanted to, he took a word that some guy from the United States had suggested for him to do, and he did that. That guy also said something about this Jesus person. He also said something about religion. So maybe if he knows something about this, maybe he knows something about that. Maybe I need to pursue that. I don't know. That's in God's hands. But the thing that I did do is I remembered I'm not ashamed to say so. And God is just a reminder that he reminded me that everywhere I go, I need to tell about his son, and I need to tell him about what he's done in my life. So, folks, I want to challenge you to walk in the light. I want you to walk in wonder. Because when you're walking in the light and you're walking in the wonder, He will turn your wilderness to wonder. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, every one of us here is either in a wilderness or have been walking through wilderness. And Father, I pray that we would walk in the light and that we would see the wonders to know that you are there And that there's so many things around us that should encourage us and motivate us. And for us to keep going, because you have overcome the world, and you remind us through your wonders. And I also pray, Lord, that it would stay with us. I am not ashamed to say so. And we have the best news in all the world. And may we be people from this fellowship right here who go into our schools, who go into our jobs, who go into our neighborhoods, and boldly proclaim the gospel, and let others know, and help us to continue to walk in the light, and continue to see your wonders. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.